Welcome to the Ecobot Podcast, where we dive into what matters most for 21st century wetland scientists. Let's continue on our journey in respect to the convergence of wetland science and technology. I'm your host, Jeremy Shavey, and on today's episode, we'll hear from our panelists from episode 11, Sandra Fox, Makari Powell, Alan Ingram, Jacqueline Smollett, and Dean Jorg, as they answer questions about the wetland data ecosystem. Let's get right into the questions. To kick us off on this, I'd, I'd like to direct a uh, question to Dan. Dan, as the ARC Hydro Development Lead, uh, could you speak to the regular updates and, and maintenance that users should keep in mind? Yeah, so ARC Hydro is uh, an interesting construct at ESRI. It's, uh, it's really not a product. Uh, it's uh, a free add-in. Uh, it has its own uh, life cycle, which is not tied into our official releases of Ezra's core software. We keep in uh, step with it. So when there are uh, releases of both um, ArcMap platform and uh, Pro platform, so Arcadre is available on both. What we'll do is uh, usually a couple of weeks after the big releases of our core software, we'll have an Archidro release uh, that matches that version of software. In between, uh, the updates to Archidro are tied to either new development that uh, we work on with our clients. Uh, like uh, Sandra and St. John's. So while we were developing the Hydro Period tools, uh, we might have had uh, an update every couple of days to make those tools immediately available, uh, both to her team and anybody else who's interested in. Or if there are any fixes or bugs or improvements in performance, we'll release it pretty much anytime we feel like it. The way you access all that uh, will be through the Archidro GeoNet page, and that will have the announcements for the major releases. And uh, there's going to be always a discussion about any of the fixes. Thank you, Dan. The, the next question I, I have uh, is, is actually to Sandra as a user of the Hydro Period tool. Can you think of uh, some other examples uh, of users or projects that you're aware of that this tool has been used for? Well, we had a really interesting project uh, with wetland uh, soils uh, and oxidation uh, using the hydroperiod tool to demonstrate what level of uh, inundation was required to prevent oxidation of soils. We had a, an area where the soil had to uh, declined, you know, there was a, a dropping and uh, trying to figure out what was happening. And it really had to do with the wetlands being inundated insufficiently during uh, during that time. So the hydroperiod tool uh, was very useful for that. And as Bakari mentioned, the water supply impact study, uh, we used it to evaluate different scenarios of withdrawals from the St. John's River and how that would impact uh, the wetlands along the river. So those are uh, two, two examples. We've used it on a, a quite a few different lake and wetland systems uh, for the MFL program as well. 
Thank you, Sandra. So, so Bakari, have you had a chance to to play with the tool a, a fair amount as well? Yes, I've used it for multiple uh, multiple <laughs> projects. Yes. Oh, I just gotta. I'm gonna interrupt. I, uh, we have Andrew is texting me. <laughs> Andrew Sutherland, who is our MFL uh, coordinator, and he said, "What about lake lobe asynchrony? Lake Butler has a bunch of different lobes, and they don't all go up and down the water. The stage does not go in synchrony." Yes, <laughs> and he also says tracking lobe behavior in sandhill systems. So, yeah, it's been very, uh, very valuable just to eval, you know, to understand system behavior. Um, using the hydro period tool. Anything else, Andrew? <laughs> thank, thank you, Sandra. And, and, and thank you, uh, Andrew, for puppeteering over there. That's helpful. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a great question coming in. Wonder, uh, someone's asking if FARC hydro can be used to determine if an isolated pond is subject to inundation from a nearby stream. So I think I might direct that over to Dan. Yeah, so technically, yes. Uh, so from the point of view of uh, GIS analysis and terrain analysis, uh, you can. Uh, you just check whether the, the polygons or you know, the rasters are directly connected to the stream. As a hydrologist in my previous life, unfortunately, uh, water doesn't necessarily follow topography. Uh, but uh, will want to seep. If you are in Florida and there is karst, there is all kinds of crazy ways in which water will get to an isolated area that's really not related to surficial uh, and topography. So tool-wise, yes, logically and, and physically, who knows? Yeah, I can think, uh, Dan, the cloud forest project that I've been helping with the last 10 years down in Guatemala. It's all super high elevation, very young karst, and you have rivers popping out of the mouth of a cave for 100 feet and then disappearing again. And yeah, that that uh, water is not paying attention whatsoever to the contours. So it's a good starting point, but uh, you, you have to bring everything in. Great. Well, thank you. So, so Daniel, there was a question that came in in respect to the uh, the Living Atlas, and it kind of reflects something that you and I were talking about yesterday. Like when utilizing the Living Atlas, you know, especially for people who are just exploring with it, it may seem difficult to access some of the data that we might be looking for as scientists. Sometimes, I'm wondering if you could address that. A little bit just from you know again based on our conversation yesterday when you and I were talking about comparing the soils uh, and what was available in the Living Atlas versus you know what's available on the Web Soil Survey. Yeah, great, great question. So since since we were discussing that, I I went back and and uh, was was looking around a little bit more and you know verified our our suspicions and whereas maybe the data is presented slightly different like the pop-up that you get in ArcGIS Online may not have exactly the same data that you would expect accessing it through something like the uh, NWI tool. The underlying data is, is all the same. So Living Atlas can be viewed as, uh, as a way to access data. 
So it's a very easy way to uh, go to one place and bring in uh, fish and wildlife data, USGS data, a whole variety of different data sets uh, without having to go to a multiple uh, different websites. The underlying data that you are accessing is the exact same data that you would be getting from the different agencies. Uh, so whatever data is being presented by the agencies, then that's what you would be accessing through Living Atlas. Great, yeah, well, somebody just followed up there with another question. Does the Living Atlas have streaming USDA soils data? And I think that's kind of what we were just getting at there, but you wanna open that one up a little bit more? Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, not 100% familiar with, with that particular data set, the streaming soils data. But I, I think that, that what we were just saying holds is, is that whatever data is available from the agencies, they work directly with the Living Atlas team uh, to ensure that, that that same data set is represented within Living Atlas. Yeah, and what an incredible set of data to have available all in one place. I mean, that's typically as part of my workflow whenever doing a delineation or monitoring site. You know, that first initial creation of the base map of gathering up all of the necessary data in order to pull together the specific data that I need to either conduct the delineation or the monitoring to have that resource available so much more efficiently is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's why I just have to laugh at, at like my past self who had, you know, spent a lot of time trying to gather, you know, different data sets for something just simple like a base map, uh, which now using Living Atlas, I could do in five minutes. And it's, it's not just the wetland data. Uh, I can add roads, streams, uh, land cover, all variety of different data sets that I would have spent uh, hours hunting for in the past. I can bring them in and be assured that they're all up to date. Yeah, it's exciting also to think about how potentially long-term some of the different projects that people are working on and out, out on the ground in terms of uh, monitoring or data collection could potentially help to better inform those data sets so that, you know, looking at macro scale modeling and planning can play a much more active role in that. That's some pretty exciting stuff. So why don't we, why don't we pivot and switch gears and I wanna uh, run a question over to Alan and to uh, Jacqueline. It just came onto many of our radars, the whole uh, APT tool becoming available. It was actually on a webinar and somebody from the Army Corps of Engineers mentioned that back in, I believe it was July, right when it first came out. And so, you know, I know that it's a beta version that has been released out. And so Alan, Jacqueline, were you guys invited to test that or was that something that you just were given privy access to? And so then you've just been using it for the last few months. Either if one of you wants to chime in, that'd be great. Sure, um, I'll take that one. You know, we were provided, tipped off that it was available um, for use. And so we started to try and incorporate it and learn what sort of information it would help us, you know, make more robust in our delineations. We played around with it, figured out that it could um, potentially replace those wets tables that I know everyone loves doing <laughs> when they're doing delineation reports. So kind of just saved us some time and we were able to incorporate it into our reports and it's useful for some of our clients. 
I mean, if you think about it, when you incorporate the data that the Corps of Engineers is already going to be doing, you're removing one step of the process that they have to do themselves. Um, and if you've already analyzed that data, it sort of hands it to them on a, on a silver platter. So I think it makes it easier for everyone that, you know, your wetland scientist is out in the field completing the wetland delineation is informed about what conditions they're observing their wetlands at and then taking it back, writing a report about it and providing that to the Corps of Engineers who ultimately makes the decision. Um, it just makes everyone um, happy and able to use better data. Yeah, that's exciting. Anything you want to add to that, Alan, since uh, you were probably using it and running the model there? Um, nothing much to add to it. I was Jackie, Jackie was spot on with what she said. I mean, it's been really cool. It's been really useful. And I, I really like that it provides that graphic, you know, that our, our clients seem to enjoy that as well. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been uh, starting to back and forth a little bit with Jason Dieter. So pie in the sky vision for me would be collaborating with the core and pulling that tool into Ecobot so that you could just go ahead and run a query while out in the field based on your location. That would be interesting. I hope my developers aren't listening to me and thinking, uh-oh, how are we going to do that? But it could be really, really interesting thing to collaborate on. So It would be great to have it all in one place. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would. Well, I certainly appreciate everyone's time today. It doesn't look like there's any other questions coming in. Great overview of the APT tool. Great overview of the hydro period tool. Thank you for listening to the Ecobot podcast. If you like what you heard, take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more about how Ecobot is helping transform the industry and to see what we can do to help your company, you can find us at www.ecobotapp.com. I'm Jeremy Shavey, and we'll see you next time on the Ecobot podcast.